following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We are at Minute 22 of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you today? I am actually doing great today, Brad, because I know I'm not going to die as we record this episode because Ming isn't here to issue a command for me to do so. Speaking of someone who, what they say goes, we have someone, uh, our guest returning. Niall, how are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, although I will note that usually what I say doesn't go. So uh, <laughs> I think you've got a bit of misinformation right there. <laughs> it's, uh, again, our, our fantastic guest, from Bat Minute 89, talking about the excellent Tim Burton-directed, Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson starring, and also Kim Basinger. Can't forget Kim Basinger. Let's go down the cast list. Billy D. Williams. Oh, Billy D. Oh, oh, boy, did he get hosed. They stole that role from him in the later movie. He got hosed. But he still got paid for it, didn't he? Well, no, apparently that's uh, that's actually uh, like a fallacy. That's when we started off the show, we were saying that. And then as we go further in, Billy Dee's come out and said, nope, that's not the case at all. It's where he says he would have got paid had he done the role. But apparently uh, Marlon Wayne, who was signed up to play Robin in Batman Returns, and obviously didn't get to play that in, in that part that either, he says he still gets residual checks for Batman Returns for not being in the movie. Wow. So Billy Dee must have got like extra shafted in the fact that like, oh, he, you know, he's like, oh, well, I wasn't in the movie, so of course it wouldn't pay me. But Marlon Wayans is down the road and like, Hey, I wasn't in any any Batman films, and I still got it. So the, the contract stuff is so crazy with that because it just depends on how good an agent you have, where you're at in your career. Very excited to have you back with us today, and uh, Eric, let's let's dive right in. Minute twenty two. Where where are we at with Flash Gordon? Yeah, well, yesterday we had two introductions of two major characters. We had Ming and Voltan show up. We get another one now here. Prince Baron shows up, played by Timothy Dalton, who most famous for being James Bond in a couple of James Bond movies. Younger uh, listeners may know him as the voice of Mr. Pricklepants in the Toy Story uh, series. <laughs> and he's playing Prince Baron. Uh, the character created back in the original strip sort of resembled Robin Hood, kind of based on that look. And when his character first appeared back in the comic strip, he was a leader of the Resistance and actually forces Flash and Zarkov to have a fight, which would have been interesting to see. But then he's impressed with their bravery, so he lets them both live, and he joins them in their quest to defeat Ming. A little bit of family uh, Mendenhall history. For a period of time, Timothy Dalton was my mom's favorite James Bond. I'm pretty sure Timothy Dalton's mom preferred Sean Connery. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a question I have, because I'm not a big Bond guy. Like, I've seen quite a a surprising amount of the movies. But the thing is, I know from just like online and uh, you know film culture and whatnot, I know that Bond, uh, Sean Connery's Bond is kind of very renowned as the best, and it's Roger Moore. A lot of people love him, but he is like not too silly and stuff. And I know for a long time, like everyone hated George Lazenby. Like it was really like, no, 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 Lazenby is the worst. But now it's cool to like George Lazenby. He's kind of come back into vogue. They've been like, oh no, he was perfect for Bond. 
But Timothy Dalton, like, where where does he sit now with most Bond fans? Is he has he gone a kind of like, oh no, it's, it's enough time has passed that people will now respect him, or is he still as reviled as as he was, you know, back when? The problem with Timothy Dalton, first off, Timothy Dalton took over for Roger Moore when Roger Moore was too damn old to be playing James Bond, and. Moore actually said in interviews the reason he realized it was time for him to hang it up where the actress playing his love interest in a movie, her mother was on the set and he realized not only was he significantly older than the actress, he was older than her mom. <laughs> He's like, uh, I shouldn't be doing it. And he wasn't in good shape anymore. They used a lot of stuntman because he just couldn't physically pull it off. He didn't look good with his shirt off and, so it was definitely time for a new Bond. Timothy Dalton did him, but Timothy Dal- Dalton ran into a problem. Was he got his first role, Living Daylights, happened about a year or two after the Cold War ended. So Russia was no the Soviets. The Soviet Union didn't exist anymore. You couldn't really have Russians as the bad guy, and that had been most of what the Bond films had been up to that point. It's like evil Russians are some sort of stand-in for evil Russians. And they didn't have a good villain for him. Um, mm. And so it, it was sort of a it, it was sort of a franchise without an identity. And it wasn't until uh, he, he did two movies, and plus the studio that owned him, I believe, was MGM, was having some financial trouble, had trouble getting financing for further movies. The first movie he did, Living Daylights, was pretty good. The second one he did, License to Kill, was pretty bad. And then they couldn't get financing for a third movie right away. And then they started doing the Pierce uh, Brosnan movies. And they sort of found their groove where it was the idea of James sort of leaning into James Bond being sort of an antiquated character. And all the other characters saying, like, it's no longer your world, James. And then giving him a threat that only James Bond could deal with. Yeah, yeah. Um, Timothy Dalton was good. He just not a great looking guy. I mean, not a bad looking guy by any, by any stretch. But I mean, when you look at when, you know in this minute, he's probably the fourth most eye catching guy in this scene because you know Sam Jones is you know a, a, basically the male version of a blonde bombshell. Brian Blessed's the you know virile mountain man hunk and mm. then Max von Sydow has all this screen presence and charisma and then there's Timothy Dalton James Bond shouldn't be the fourth most charismatic guy on screen <laughs> I will note that uh, I actually used to weirdly enough had a, had a signed photo of Timothy Dalton uh, back when I was a student because I think I mentioned this actually when I was on Galaxy Quest minute because uh, Tim Allen came up because when we were students, we had a thing of, um, uh, we had, tried to make the wall of Tim's, where we got, like, really cheap signed autograph photos of people called Tim. And just put it <laughs> up, just for fun. But it didn't go that far. But, like, it was Tim Allen was one. Timothy Dalton was another. Tim Reed, who played Ray in Sister Sister, was the third one. <laughs> I think there was a couple more, but, like, this is about ten years ago now. So I'm like, and the wall of Tim's did not, uh, it wasn't cherished enough to be brought from house to house after we moved. So uh, it fell apart very flimsily, but 
for a guy who was not particularly enamored by James Bond or Timothy Dalton's career in general, I did at least have a signed photo of him that I purchased for about five pounds from eBay. So that goes to show just how important James Bond is as a character. Even if you're not a James Bond fan, you still see in a lot of his movies and have some an autographed picture of one of the Bonds just because there's so much cultural osmosis. Now, Brad, you mentioned that uh, Dalton was only the fourth best, uh, you know, looking uh, person, uh, male at least in this shot, but you left out my favorite. Clytus, of course, appears as well with his awesome gold mask and his amazing voice mm. when he says, no one dies in the palace without a command from the emperor, which is just an awesome line. Mm. But I also love when Voltan and Baron are about to come to blows and Voltan's not interested in stopping and he just goes, Voltan! Love how he screams that line out. Such an important scene because Voltan, his whole, this guy's just pure id. He loves to fight. I don't think he really even has that much anger towards Prince Baron, but he just really loves to fight, and it'd be fun to kill a guy. And he just wants to chop a couple of heads off, party, bang a couple of wenches, but you can actually see how bad the threat is and how powerful uh, Ming is because even Voltan is backing off of this, and you know that ain't easy for him. Mm. And you can really see how much through gritted teeth Voltan's like, I can't do this right now because he desperately wants to just. He were there's really looking around. There was no one in that room. He doesn't want to bang or beat up. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, 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 you said that um, you think that he uh, doesn't necessarily hate the Arborians. So, so let me ask you guys this: the Arborians accuse the Hawkmen of stealing these ice crystals in battle. What he calls the Royal Crypt, and then he says Voltan stole it while the Arborians were burying their dead on Phrygia. Mm. So is that not a battle then between the Arborians and the Hawkmen? Or yeah. was it a battle between the Arborians and someone else, and the Hawkmen swooped in and stole it after the Arborians had a battle with a different group of people? So I, I was really intrigued about what the, what the political situation is between these guys, because like, they're, they're at each other's throats like, for the majority of the movie, really. Mm. So I, I got the impression that, no, this is an ongoing war between them. And, um, like, what, what, like uh, when he mentions, like, oh, we're, you know, uh, burying, like, burying our general. I kind of thought it was a bit of, was there a bit of resentment towards that? I was like, they killed him. We were burying him. And while we were burying him, they stole this thing from us. Mm. And so I thought that that was supposed to be, like, a bit of a coded thing. But I, I was also really intrigued as to... You know, Voltan's actual uh, his motivation for stealing this thing, and uh, I, I wondered if it was did he just steal it out of like they realized at the last minute, or like oh we've got to go meet Ming like tomorrow. Oh, you have to bring a thing, and then Voltan, I don't want to go. I'm not going to give him any of my stuff. Steal something from them while, while we're on the way, <laughs> and then it's more like hey, we got this thing for you. And it's more out of sheer sort of disdain for having to get anything to me. Mm. And it's also just out of laziness of like, oh, I'm not going to go do anything. I'm going to just get a couple of my henchmen to go steal a thing while, while we're on yeah. the way there. I-, I could just see Voltan waking up hungover. It's like, oh, I don't know, I have to do something today. He's like, oh, crap, I got got to get a gift for Ming. He's like, hey, can somebody <laughs> steal something? And then I could just, first off, I-, I feel like whatever Baron accuses Voltan of doing, Voltan did. <laughs> he did it exactly, and I, I don't even think he would. I, I think really, Bolton doesn't even want to argue it. He's like, eh, "I did it. Let's let's kill each other." 
I do and, love his his denial though of like, hey, he stole this thing, and then just yeah, <laughs> it out. Like I'm, I am so ready to defend myself for this thing that I clearly did. But like, no, I will go. I will take you. I'll take everyone in this room down before I get called. Oh. They probably didn't film it, but they should have. Just filming a scene of somebody handing Voltan the, the, the object is like, hey, we stole it, and Voltan's like just laughing and flying off. Because uh, <laughs> I bet he really likes stealing stuff, and he likes stealing stuff that he knows somebody's going to upset when they find out it's stolen. Not only does he get then to have his tribute to Ming that, that that's not even his, but he's then putting Prince Baron in a situation where like, oh, crap, I, I, I got to find something else now. That, that was supposed to be our tribute. Now what do we do? Uh, thing, uh, about the actual tribute as well. Is it from what is it, what, what what's the planet? It's called like Frigidera or something. Like I kind of is this supposed to be part of the joke of like well it's ice it's a nice thing and it's from something that sounds like it has fridge in the title. <laughs> I was like is this is this is this what they're leading into? Uh, yeah, the 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 kingdom of Phrygia uh, that's yeah. from the original comic strip and it's it's yeah it's the cold area it's the hoth of the Flash Gordon Gordon world. Uh, and, yeah, coincidentally, just happens to be called Phrygia, sounding similar to, you know, an English word, um, even though they're in another galaxy. Mm. A little bit of unobtainium going on here. I mean, I mean, the Arboreans, I mean, <laughs> you know, Arbor, I mean, they live in trees, you know, again, oh, well, that, that's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the actual prize, the, the little ice sculpture thing, it's kind of coincidental enough that it really reminds me of a thing, because last night I was... Recording with the Cabin Minute cast, the people are doing Cabin in the Woods one at the time. And then we got to do the scene where the, they have Fornicus, who is the character very much based on Pinhead from Hellraiser. Mm. And uh, there's a scene in Hellraiser 3 where Pinhead like, he freezes, it goes and he's massacring like a nightclub. And he uh, gets this girl's drink to fly out of the glass, like CGI. And it freezes into kind of a shard and goes through her face. And it actually looks loads like that, like that, that thing. I was like, oh, that's a weird coincidence. I was like, you could, if you had told me, they're like, we've got this from Earth after a massacre at a nightclub. I was like, oh, that's coincidence. <laughs> it all ties together. It's all one big tapestry of movies. <laughs> well, and who's buried in the royal crypt? You know, they say they had battle in the royal crypt. Is that, you know, is that like Aura's mother and Ming's parents? Or is that, you know, I mean, what is the royal crypt? We never hear any other mention of that in this movie. Like, that nice little uh, tease there of something, you know, in, in a bigger world that we don't know anything about. I'm not, I'm not too sure. Oh, I, think that I do like the idea that, like, what, you know, whatever sort of huge intergalactic kerfuffle has come out where, like, it's, I'm not too sure. Do you guys get the impression that Ming's been in charge for a while, or do you think that this is a recent victory? Because I get the fact that there was a massive intergalactic war going on. He's the victor, and like these skirmishes, you know, between Voltan and Baron and stuff. This is all sort of aftermath of like who's spinning up what else is left, and like the fact that Ming is there and they have to come to do this is really like, oh, this, this guy. Yeah, he beat all of us, but. You know, it was only like a year or two ago that it actually happened. Or do you think that the Ming, I was going to call it the Ming Dynasty, but like, uh, has that been uh, has that been reigning for like years? Well, I, I later on uh, in the movie, Aura tells Flash that Ming keeps all the other kingdoms. Like he sort of feeds into that chaos. He he does things to keep all the other people fighting against each other, and that's something that allows him to stay in power because they're all fighting each other, so they can't team up 
and take him out. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of feel like he's been there a while. I agree. I think, it, it, and I just get the feeling that's the sort of guy he is. He has this all organized to create the chaos. And also, I think he just likes it. I think he just likes watching these groups tear each other apart. Aside from the fact that it helps him stay in power, but it also, he just likes it. He just likes watching people tear themselves apart. No, totally, totally. One thing I will say for, like, things to, like, randomly tie in is that, like, because um, consider, like, what, you know, Timothy Dalton's more recent parts. So, he's, you know, he's a guy getting on in years. But uh, I remember for a while he was sort of mentioned to be Alfred when they were casting, you know, Batman versus Superman, which I would have loved. I totally to see Timothy Dalton full, full Alfred now coming out with, like, the little, you know, thin mustache and stuff. Although they obviously went with Jeremy Irons. And Jeremy Irons actually does a great job with that as well. One of the more recent things I've actually seen Timothy Dalton in is uh, it was in Doctor Who, or he was like, a couple of years back. Uh, he was like one of Rassilon, you know, like the president of the Time Lords and whatnot. It's a very Flash Gordon-esque sort of uh, episode. And uh, it's just weird because like, he's in conflict with Ryan Blessed. And uh, some people might know that uh, Peter Capaldi, like the, the, the departing Doctor, the guy who just did it, he apparently has a scar under his eye from when he was punched by Brian Blessed on the set of a TV show in the 90s, which is uh, it's a pretty, you know, it's another one of Brian Blessed's many amusing stories. Where I think they were, it was supposed to be like a, you know, a stunt that went wrong, but apparently, yeah, he just decked Peter Capaldi full on in the face. And then he, you know, when the interview was about it, he's just like, goes, you know, talking things like, oh, he went flat on his back. His legs went up in the air, his arms went up, and I thought, he's in the death rattle, he's down, I think he's dying. <laughs> and then Capaldi's just like, yeah, I have stitches, and I got scarred in my eye now because of that. <laughs> you just figure 80, like 10% of people in theater and television, especially in, uh, in Europe, have some sort of scar from Brian Blessed. When you, go, when you go into acting schools, like, all right, first thing, everybody, when you're in a scene with Brian Blessed, you're going to come out different than you went in. <laughs> I think most people, he's so beloved, they'll be like, oh, fair enough. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm willing to take whatever, whatever's coming, just so I can be like, hey, I worked with Brian Blessed. I, I want to throw uh, a few Batman-related uh, questions here at Niall, uh, tying into to Flash Gordon here. First question, Flash Gordon versus the Joker. Who wins? Oh, who? who uh, oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough question, because I can't imagine... With the Joker sort of uh, penchant for setting up sort of themed death traps and whatnot, him actually constructing some sort of American football-based you know, <laughs> trap for Flash Gordon, the Flash Gordon would inevitably beat because he's amazing and stuff. Yeah, it's a tough one. To, it's a tough you know road to hoe that actually. I'll sway on the side of safety and just say good, good always triumph. And uh, <laughs> probably find the way. Because he's a guy, like, how many times does he die in this movie, Flash Gordon? Like, he's, so many times, you, he really seems like, that's the end of him, and he always comes back. So it's like, well, it's, you know, it's either through dumb luck or, you know, actually, I think it's almost entirely just down to dumb luck with, that, with the, this iteration of Flash. Uh, <laughs> he, he would somehow manage to triumph, even if he wasn't really trying. He'd be like, hey, no, this is what happens, you know? I want to believe that. However, so much of Batman defeating the Joker is him, like, being a detective and and outsmarting the Joker, and I don't see this iteration of Flash being able to do that. That's, that's why I would, I would emphasize the part of luck. Like, he, he might yeah. mean, mean to defeat him, but somehow it would just happen anyway. 
where he's just like, oh, yeah, a thing happened, and hey, well, you know, I won. So that's, that's the thing about this version of Flash Gordon. It's like, he's not, you know, put down to the performance of Sam Jones, but he doesn't seem to really break too much of a sweat a lot of the time. He seems to be very much like, I got this. Like, I got, you know, everything's, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. He does seem to be yeah. like a, a man with brazen, uh, you know, unearned confidence. <laughs> Who, uh, who does, to be fair to him, yeah, he saves the day, so I guess he's earned it in that regard. Batman against Ming is, is the next one I want to throw at you. Oh, no, Batman would win against Ming, no problem. Like, <laughs> Ming's a guy, like, what's he got? It's like a lot of clout. That's, that's the thing. It seems to have been whatever, you know, he, he's throwing armies at people, and he's got, you know, this ring of power that he can do, whatever, like, all that. I'm sure that Ming himself is very intelligent, but I don't think he's an outsmart Batman. I think that'd be, I think that's an open and shut case. And then the uh, last question we talked about uh, in yesterday's episode, Michael Keaton getting cast as Batman and, and you know, how controversial it was at the time, but he ended up pulling it off. So would Michael Keaton have been able to pull off being Flash in this movie? Not the version of Flash that we get anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, yeah, it's one of those things of um, just even if you told, came in and just said, like, little short Michael Keaton, who was, like, smaller than Kim Basinger, and, like, <laughs> Say that this guy's an American football hero. <laughs> no one's gonna buy that. <laughs> well, it could be the punter. Oh well, maybe. Like, I'm, I'm not actually too well versed in American football, so don't quote me. But uh, no, I don't think he would have been. I would think it would have been a stilt and uh, a lot of padding and a wig. Maybe he could have passed for someone who looks like Flash Gordon. <laughs> but no, I don't think he would have. He would have done the part well. Like I. Uh, like, I was on with the, the Point Break Minutes guys at one point, like, a couple of months back. And we were even debating, you know, in that movie, Keanu Reeves is supposed to be an ex-quarterback. And you look at, look at a Keanu Reeves, it's like, well, look at him. He's, you know, Keanu Reeves is a guy, and he's in good shape. But he doesn't look like he could play that game, whereas Sam Jones does. Like, he totally, even today, I imagine that guy could, you know, just push me with his little finger and I go flying out the door, you know? <laughs> but, oh, yeah, he's a big guy, yeah. Yeah, so no, I don't think Michael Keaton would have been. I know maybe he could have done the dub. He could have done the dubbing. That might have been a thing he could pull off. But oh, there you person. go. Sure. <laughs> I, honestly, I think you'd be. I mean, you would be closer to just doing like a gender reverse where Kim Basinger was Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah, that I could buy totally. I'll be like, yeah, this makes perfect sense to me. You alluded to it earlier, but I do like um, Clytus's you know his interaction again. You know, as we, we sort of mistakenly said. Well, what we I mistakenly said yesterday about it being Clytus's first line of the movie, and it's, now you do get it. Do you guys know if was he ADRs? Because like I'm really curious about this mask situation. That doesn't look like that looks like a thing. If he was talking, it seemed like he would have to talk like this, and he wouldn't be able to move his lips. And like I, if he is ADR, it's a really good job. Or was the mask constructed in such a manner as to like, no, his mouth was a, you know, a couple of centimeters away from the front, so he is able to articulate, and we take the, that audio up seamlessly because I'm guess you know, stage English stage stuff. So you know, he knows how to project. I never came across anything either way, but I mean, you're right. The way I mean, with with the way the mask is constructed, and you can, you know, he obviously must have really had to move his jaw a lot to really get the articulation to see, because the jaw is the only part of the mask that moves. Mm. Uh, and it must, I'm sure it would have been very hard to properly speak his lines while moving his jaw that way. So just based on that, this is a guess, but I, I, I almost think it had to have been ADR. 
I totally do buy that, like, that's him just speaking now. Like, I've seen a lot of bad ADRs, and this is actually seamless to me, so... Yeah, I'm um, pretty impressed. Yeah, I agree. It has to be because there's no way you could just project through all that, and it would have to come out mumbly or muffled, and it really doesn't. And I'm usually really good at spotting ADR. Uh, and the fact that it was 1980 and it comes across that seamless is really impressive because fast forward 30 years where there, um, I remember watching uh, the first Captain America film where everything with, uh, Chris Evans as scrawny Steve Rogers was blatantly ADR'd, and not because it, the, the, it didn't match up, uh, but, but you know, it just there's just a weird sound thing where the sound doesn't feel like it's coming from the person. The fact that I don't get that feeling at all is really impressive. It's just a sign of really good sound work, or it wasn't ADR'd. But uh, I've been wondering that too because that's a really clunky mask, and yeah, uh, yeah God bless him for for acting under that. And man, it's, it's you having an awesome voice to, uh, to, to to sell that role and present the like the power of that character, despite the fact you're wearing a ridiculous gold mask. Uh, have you talked much about Peter Wingard yet? Oh yeah, yeah. He's yeah. he's he's possibly my favorite part of this movie. Yeah, we've Ooh. we've talked a lot about him. It was only a couple of weeks ago that he died. Yeah, it was yep. really tragic. Like, cause remember, I think it was around the time you, we might have been setting up recording this. And I was like, holy shit, Clytus just died as well. But Yep. Uh, and my research, my favorite thing, you might, you might have mentioned it already, but like the most amazing thing I came across of him was the fact that he has an album. The album's called uh, When Sex Leers Its Inquisitive Head. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we didn't get to that, and I am, I am so glad that you have now told us this, because I must listen to that now. <laughs> oh. oh, you want to see like, the, the, the front cover is like him in this beautiful sort of lime green tunic, very proudly <laughs> displayed in his like a like a Napoleonic painting or something, <laughs> and he looks very proud. But I do like the the idea though of you were in bed with Peter Wingard, he'd be working his magic, and all of a sudden then he's just like, excuse me a moment, and then just puts on the Clytus mask, and then he just goes, <laughs> he just slips under the covers. That that I'm sure that was his move, and mm. I'm sure it worked. But we do that. Like, he does get the last line of the, the minute because he has uh, the yeah that awesome uh, like the two guys are sort of you know to calm him down and then uh, Voltan goes for another blow or to attempt another blow and then we get the yeah uh, Voltan which is a great just a, an amazing sort of delivery and a great line and then it, or, or else you sacrifice your dog and then the minute cuts so you know sacrifices his dog his door. Who knows what he sacrificed? I was I was wondering whether he was going to tell Voltan he would sacrifice his donut privileges. You know, no more donuts for you. Oh Christ! Yeah, that, that would stop him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this is a guy who loves his donuts. Uh, you know, he would want to come to Earth just for donuts. <laughs> uh, you know what? Tell us a little bit more about where people can find about uh, Bat Minute eighty nine. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. We're available, you know, through the the old Google machine. Uh, if you just type in Batman at eighty nine, uh, you'll get us through whatever means you you wish. If you want us on Facebook, go into Facebook and you type in those words. You'll find us that way. Um, and then yeah, obviously the actual show itself uh, is on iTunes and all the usual podcast areas. And um, yeah, we're just uh, we're on Twitter, we're on uh, Tumblr. I believe. I've never been on the Tumblr, but I'm 
John, my co-host, assures me that we have a Tumblr, apparently. Uh, and also, what's the other one? Instagram. I think we're on Instagram as well. But uh, I probably should be proud of Instagram, because we, I do take time to get those screen caps of the, the minutes. And uh, you know, some of them are, you have to so make that decision between, you've landed on the actors making a funny face in between when they're talking or something. Should I keep mm. that for just being funny? Or should I put up like a like an iconic moment from the scene? Which are people? Which are the people of Instagram going to like more? And it's a, it's an interesting result. Very cool. Well, we recommend everyone uh, subscribe, listen. It's a great movie. It's a great podcast talking about it. And you guys are going to keep doing it and talk about Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, and uh, the quality of these movies uh, ends up taking a little bit of a dip. But uh, that can still make for some really interesting conversations because sometimes it's more fun to talk about bad movies than great movies. Although uh, I think Flash Gordon for us is great because it's a great movie, but it has all the great bad movie stuff that we still get to talk about. Erica, where, where can people find out more about our little uh, our little slice of heaven here on the MXM uh, world? Well, you can chat with us in our Facebook fan page, Flash Gordon Minute Listeners Vortex. Anything you want to about the podcast, the movie, Sam Jones, whatever. Uh, we're on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod, and you can email us, Flash Gordon Minute at gmail.com. Yeah, we ask everyone to do so. Uh, we love hearing from people that are watching the show, uh, listening to the program. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to have one more day with our fantastic guests. Uh, I'm really excited about that. But, uh, but Eric, I, 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 I do have a worry. Come, come to me. I've got a shoulder to lend you. Come to me. I, I'm, I'm pretty concerned that you were asking all those great questions uh, to our guest, uh, and I'm going to take those ideas to make my own Flash Gordon Batman fan fiction. Not word our guest, our guest is going to sue us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, people like to copyright things. I remember back when I was a kid, I think it was uh, 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 Phil Jackson copyrighted the word three-peat when the Chicago Bulls won the NBA title three years in a row. You actually could not use the word three-peat. So there's a lot of stuff like that out there. But don't worry, if you find yourself in court, you got a judge that, that, that's looking like they're going to drop the gavel on you. Don't worry. Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. think I have not those intimate, improbable thoughts that shade your eyes, softer than your own soft awakening. Wrong that moment when you felt ensnared with music more shared than words. Failed to touch that shy smile upon your lips, more stinging than the taste of mint. Look deeper than your wildest dreams upon disillusion of your heart, or sigh more sadly than your own wise eyes. If you have, Then think not I own my shame. It is yours, my lady. We will share them and those who dare to say my singing was meant to hurt, in spite of smiles more sly than kind. We will do all this with words that shall forfeit thoughts like fear, hate, must I insist, and how. 
Why is April more than less a month of love? And all the rest, a restless wonder of my soul.